pursue. We often think of maybe our love pursuing God, but think about God loving you enough to pursue you. So this morning, um, we're going on in 1 John. So the title, the title of my message actually comes from John 13, the Gospel of John, and I'll explain to you. So what, I'd, if I titled my message, I'd, I'd simply entitle it, As I Have Loved You. So the portion that we're in in 1 John is talking about our love for each other. It's, it's throughout John, but this he, he's zeroing in on it um, today in, in our text today. And I thought it was kind of interesting because last night in our couples thing, I mean, we're talking about loving each other and what that looks like. But that goes beyond the love, loving as God has loved me goes beyond our marriages. It goes into every relationship that we have. David, you have the first slide before we read our text. I don't know if you can read that or not, but this was, you young ones probably don't even know what peanuts is anymore. So I'll just give you a second. You can read that. Have you ever had the thought, I love mankind, it's just the people, it's people I can't stand. I thought of this, um, I came across this, and it reminded me of something that that really bothers me that we, we keep hearing more and more. And I, hear, I, I hear this, I, I don't know, I may have been at a place where I even said it myself, where I love Jesus but I don't love the church, or I don't love his people. And what causes that? What, what in the world would bring someone to that? And it, you can actually do some research. Um, you can go to the next slide. We can get rid of peanuts now. But <coughs> Barna actually has done a study um, on, on that. People who say they love Jesus, but it's his people that they can't stand. That's kind of the essence. And we look across our culture, across our world, where there are people exiting the church in massive numbers right now. And I ask myself, why is that? What's going on? Um, so I have some ideas, and I'll, I'll share those with you. I think they tie in, perhaps they tie in with um, our text today. So if you would, turn to First John. We're in chapter 2 today. 1 John chapter 2, we're going to start in verse 11. So you can either read, follow along up here. I'm reading from the ESV. <clears throat> if you have a different translation, that's great. I always read it in a bunch of different translations. Um, but the ESV is what I'll be reading it from this morning. He says this in 1 John chapter 2, verse 7. Beloved, I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing and the light and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and he hates his brother is still in darkness, but whoever hates, I'm sorry, but whoever loves his brother abides in the light and in him there is no cause for stumbling. 
But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. So with that statement, I love Jesus, but it's his people I can't stand. Sometimes we are hard to love, all right? We all have people in our lives who are difficult to love, and I I think we all recognize that, but then you have to stop and realize, you know what? Sometimes I'm the one who's really hard to love, right? But, so my, my question is to us, is can you separate your love for Jesus and your love for people? Can you separate that? So if you remember last week, um, in the text from last week, Marcus talked about um, the commandments. He didn't spend a whole lot of time on it, but I found it interesting that in the portion from last week, he talks about the commandments. And remember, we mentioned that the commandments that he's talking about is the summarization that Jesus gives, right? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. And the second is like it's love your neighbor as yourself. And then he comes into verse uh, verse 7 here, our text for today, and he says, I am writing you no new commandment. It's singular. But an old commandment. So is it old or is it new? Is it both? I was like, what? What's up with that? How many of you ever wish for the good old days? We all hear that, right? For sure, us older ones are like, man, if things would just be like they were in the good old days. And then you've got the young generations like, man, that's all so old-fashioned. Let's get rid of that. We need something new, something different, right? We need a change. Well, I think the command of Jesus, and we'll look at that, is old and new, and it's new at the same time because it surpasses time, it surpasses generations, it encompasses everything in life. But I do want to look at why he would say it is an old commandment. And it could be that he's saying it is old in the sense that his readers, the first readers who got this letter, they've heard this from the beginning of their walk with Jesus. Um, they've, they've heard it from the beginning there. But I think that he is actually pointing us all the way back to the Old Testament. <coughs> um, and in Leviticus 19, I don't know how many of you enjoy reading Leviticus, but it's, it can be a little bit of a drag. But And we often think of um, Leviticus and all the laws and the 640 or however many laws there were, all these commandments, how we have to do everything, all these external things. But in every piece of it, God is driving to something deeper. Even in, even in the Old Testament. Listen to what he says in Leviticus 19, verses 17 and 18. And I think this is what John is referring back to when he's talking about it being old. You shall not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall reason frankly with your neighbor, lest you incur sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance or bear grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So I think it's old in that sense. This has been God's heart from the beginning for his people, is that we truly learn how to love each other from our hearts, not just in our outward expressions or in our words. Our words can say one thing and our lives can do something completely different. I think we all recognize that. 
But then he says it's a new commandment. At the same time, it's a new commandment. So what's this new commandment thing that he's talking about? Second John um, talks about the new commandment. He, he defines it a little bit there. But if you have ever, if you have ever invested a lot of time in writing a paper on a subject, and then you, maybe years later, you come back and you write another paper on that same subject, how much of your time are you going to go back to the things that you wrote first? This is something that has been, been fascinating to me in our study of First John. How many times you can go back to the Gospel of John, the first one he wrote, this is years later, and you can read, oh, I get it, there, there's where he's coming from. So I think when he says, at the same time it's a new commandment, it's found in John 13, it says this, and here's where I get my title from. A new commandment, this is Jesus speaking, a new commandment I give you that you love one another just as I have loved you. Remember back in Leviticus, it says, love one another from your heart. I am the Lord. Now here he says, love one another as I have loved you. There I think that is the new. What is that? What does it mean to love each other as Jesus loved you? That changes the perspective in how I look at the relationships that I'm in when I'm lined up and walking in the, the way that Jesus loved me. You are, in the same way I have loved you, you are also to love one another. By this shall all people, well, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So can you separate your love for Jesus with your love for people? So the command that John is talking about is this command to love one another. And that new commandment, love one another as I have loved you. Does it help you guys sometimes when, you, when you're trying to figure out what something means to figure out first what it doesn't mean? Did you notice John, John describes this love for a brother in verses 9, 10, and 11. He describes this. But twice he uses it in like the negative sense, as in the don't do this, don't be like this. And only once he says, this is what you're supposed to do. So I'm going to look at that a little bit because I think, I think it helps us understand what John is driving at when he talks, when he means to love one another as I have loved you. In verse 9 he says, whoever says he's in the light. So that's a person who proclaims to have faith in Jesus, proclaims to walk with Jesus, but he hates his brother. He says he's still in darkness. What does it mean to hate someone? If I'd ask you to raise your hand, if you hate, that, if you hate someone, raise your hand. No, we don't hate people. What do you think when you, when you think of this idea of, someone, of hating someone? I think this, I don't know, I get the picture in my mind of a twisted, ugly face who's out just to tear someone down, tear into pieces. Uh, something that's really ugly and perverse. Jesus likens it to murder in Matthew 5 in the Sermon on the Mount. The hate that John is talking about, the by literal definition, is to regard 
with ill will. And what, what does that do to a person who hates? A person who hates it is like poison that slowly eats away and, and it destroys a person from the inside out. Now, I think what should strike us as we think about this hatred, it is he's talking about the condition of the heart. But I'll show you in just a minute. Notice he doesn't, John doesn't talk about what happens to the person that you are hating. He talks about the person who hates and what happens to the person who hates. It destroys me, not the, the one who is the object of my hatred. Jump down to the verse 11. It's the second piece where he talks about this love as I have loved you in the negative sense. It says, but whoever hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded eyes. You see the progression of the heart condition of the person who harbors hatred or bitterness in their heart. It says, first of all, that he is in the dark. Now, if we would just suddenly flip off all the lights, we could say, okay, we're in darkness, right? <clears throat> could you get up and move around? Your surroundings are familiar. I think you probably get up and move around um, because you, rec- you, you know where things are here in this room in your mind, but you are still in darkness, but you can't see the things that are around you. But the next progression is then he says, you are walking in darkness. So the, wherever it is that you're going, you can't see where it is you're going. Um, I had to think of if you ever had, have y- had young children and they wake you up in the middle of the night and so you and stumble through the dark and suddenly your toe meets a chair or you step on a Lego in your bare feet. That's this idea of walking in darkness. You're, you're stumbling and bumbling about. You can kind, you kind of get where you want to go maybe, but it, it, you cannot see at all where it is that you are going. So you're in the darkness, then you're walking in the darkness, and then you're lost in the darkness. This is, this is what happens to our hearts when we harbor bitterness and hatred. We become lost. We lose our way. We don't know where we're going. Suddenly our hearts become just completely lost, and we lose the way. And then he says, the darkness has blinded his eyes. Our hearts become completely blind to the truth. And we cannot see the truth. We cannot see the light. And it's those cases, those times when it takes someone to lead us to the light. Um, but I'm just, I'm so fascinated with that progression and what it does to the person who hates. And we'll talk about it a little bit later, but before you think, if you're like me, before you think you don't hate or haven't hated, think about it a little bit. But he compares hatred to darkness, and he compares love to light. So in darkness, you can't see a thing. But what is darkness? Someone define what darkness is? Bo. Say it again. The devil? That's right. He is in darkness. Absolutely. Darkness is what? Is darkness a thing, an entity in and of itself? Is darkness a thing? 
Say what? The absence of light. Thank you. Darkness is not a thing of itself. It just simply means something else is missing. So what does that do if, if hatred is like darkness and love is as light? What is, how, how do you define hatred? Does it not simply mean that it is the absence of love? If I do not love my brother, and we can talk about a long time about what it means to love your brother. That will probably come later in 1 John. But um, the, the hatred and the darkness is simply something that is missing. So now let's go to the positive in verse 10. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and there is no, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. <coughs> he who loves his brother is in the light. Now, the definition of love can be a Big, broad thing. Our world would define love as you just embrace everything that I think and like and want, and if you disagree with it, that's wrong, that's not love. If you want to know what love looks like, just look at the life of Jesus. That's all I'm going to do is point you to Jesus. I'm not going to try to define it in little bitty terms today. But look at the life of Jesus, how he lived we read in 1 John 13 where, where he says, A new commandment I give you, that you love one another as I have loved you. Do you know what Jesus did just previous to that? In the first part of chapter 13, Jesus bent down and he washed the feet of his disciples. He humbly served. He brought life to the people. And you read that story in John 13 in, in its order, in its context. The people that he washed the feet with were not necessarily lovely people. You look at the life of his disciples, and I believe that Judas was in the room and Jesus washed Judas's feet. Judas doesn't leave until later in chapter 13. But I simply tell you this, that if you want to understand what love really looks like, how you should love your brother, look at the life of Jesus, how he served, how he gave, how he brought life. And then we'll look at the end, we'll look at the cross. Because that is how we truly love as Jesus loved. Notice what he says um, in his comparison of, let me, let me mention this yet. <coughs> if darkness is like, hatred is like darkness and love is like light, light is flowing into this room right now, Right? But darkness is simply the absence of something. Light always has a source. So if we are to love, then we must be drawing from the source of light. So the light that's shining down right here, right now, the, the source of the light is that light bulb, right? I've about blinded myself by looking at it, um, is the source of the light bulb that's right there. That's the source. So if, if Jesus, if love is light, then, then our love must have a source. And Jesus, it's God says, God is love. He is the very essence of it. So if we're to live and to love as Jesus loved, then we must be plugged into the source. But just as hatred, what John does in, in describing what hatred does to the person who hates, he doesn't talk about the person who's hated. 
He does the same thing in the person who loves. Notice what it does to the person who loves. He says, if the person who loves is the one who remains or abides in the light. In Wayne's sermon a couple weeks ago, um, when he turned all the lights off and had the spotlight up here, um, and it, it talks about walking in the light, the same concept is here. It means it's a continual daily action of walking with and staying in the light. It's abiding in. If the light is shining over in that room over there, and it's dark in here, and if I want to remain and abide in the light, then I need to be with the source of the light. If I remove myself from the source of that light, then I'm no longer abiding and remaining in the light. That is what he's saying about the person who loves. If you want to be able to love as Jesus loved, then we must abide and remain every single day, every moment of every day in the light. We must remain there. Notice the other thing. Let me draw your attention to the end of verse verse 10 yet. <clears throat> he makes one more statement about the person who abides in the light. And he says, in him, in him, the one who loves, the one who abides, there is no cause for stumbling. Um, and I did a little bit, of, a little bit of study on that. I was like, okay, so is he talking about? I think it could be. I think we could take it both ways. But the word stumbling is actually a noun, so it's not an action. The noun is um, often in the New Testament. Um, it's translated as a temptation, or a trap, or a snare. So the person who abides in the light and loves his brother and sister, there in him, there he's not a trap. He's not a snare, and I think that can be to his brothers and sisters, but it's also in his own life because he can now see where he's going. He can see where his next footstep is going to be. He knows where to put his foot down because he's walking in the light. So notice the impact that it has on the person who abides in the light. So what does it mean practically for, for us in the next week? Have you ever said, I love Jesus, but I just don't like His people? I'm, I'm pretty sure I've said that at some times, for some, some part of my life anyway. Because sometimes, as you go into your next week, you're going to run into people, and it may be at home. We talked about it last night. We rub shoulders with people. Sometimes we're hard to love. Sometimes people are very difficult to love. Um, But that's why... I'll come back to that. But one thing, one thing that as you go think about the next week and how it affects your life, it's going to require that we examine our own hearts. I said if, if you'd raise... If I'd ask for a raise of hands of people who hate someone, probably none of us would actually raise our hands and say this or that. I, I, just, I just hate that person. Because we're church people. We know better than that, right? We know better than to actually say that. But do I? Do I have hatred in my heart towards someone? I, I'm telling you, I, this week as I studied, in the last couple weeks as I studied this passage, 
I had found myself needing to come to a place where I had to repent. I never, I didn't think I hate a person, but can I truly long for and wish the best on the most difficult person in my life? Can I truly wish that, that the best for that person? You see, sometimes when we've been hurt in life, sometimes it's, if we're honest with our hearts, it's kind of satisfying when we see another person stumble and fall, especially if it's someone that hurts us or has hurt us. Because maybe somewhere down in there, there's this idea, ah, I'm vindicated. See, I was right. He was wrong. Or all kinds of ways like that, that down inside in our hearts, we have to allow that light to penetrate into our hearts. And the only way that I know how to get rid of hatred or bitterness in my heart is to bring it to the light. You cannot get rid of hatred on your own by deciding in your mind, in your head, I'm going to do better. I'm going to get rid of that. I'm not going to. You have to bring it to the light. David, you want to put the last slide up? Um, Oh, I wanted to say this yet. With this exodus of people leaving the church and people saying, I love God's people. I love the church. I love Jesus. It's his church that I don't like. And I'm wondering if it doesn't come out of this, what he says in verse 9, we say we are in the light. We say we're followers of Christ. And yet we hate our brother and our sister. I wonder because when people see that and people see we say one thing and yet we live another. Let me give you, let me give you an example, example of it. I can get sucked into Twitter. I love Twitter. Um, I actually had to take it off my phone because of it. But I, I, I discovered it's not because of even the contents that there, but what it tells you about the people. I love, because you can learn so much about the people. But, so an example is, on this is, this is something that's on Twitter a lot. I see it a lot. I notice a, someone will post something about Jesus, just making a statement about Jesus, just in a, and no matter what it is, there's going to be 150 comments about why that is so stupid and why that's so wrong and why you shouldn't be saying that. Um, and I thought about it a lot here. We heard about the uh, revivals in, that were going on in Asbury. My understanding is they've officially ended, but the, the revival is still ongoing. Oh, people were going nuts all over Twitter. Why this is not a real revival? Because it doesn't have this, it doesn't have this. And I'm like, Seriously? God's Spirit is moving, and it maybe doesn't look the way you think it should look, and so you need to knock it down. And we see all this back and forth, because all we're doing is we're looking at each other, and we're not walking in the light. We're looking at each other and what everyone else is doing wrong, rather than looking at the cross, looking at Jesus. Francis and Lisa Chan talked about it last night in that one video even in our marriages, and it goes, it's true for all of our relationships. 
when we as individuals, we focus on our love for Jesus and me walking with Jesus, we don't have time for all this other stupid little nonsense bickering and fighting about whatever because it doesn't look the way... If there's a revival that's going to sweep this land and it doesn't look like I think it should look or what, I want to be a part of it. I don't want, I want, I don't want to be the one who's a stick in the, stick in the mud or the, whatever you want to, term you want to use. But when people see the Spirit of God moving and then they see and hear people who profess to be followers of Jesus just bashing it and saying it's not this, it's not that, whatever. And all this fighting, saying we love Jesus, but our actions and our love for each other is just flat out missing. If, I wonder if that's not what causes people to say, I love Jesus, but I just can't stand His people. And they don't want to be a part of a church because they see all of this happening and they say they just don't want any part of the church. But if we're to love each other, it has to bring us back to the person of Jesus. All the way back in Leviticus where it talks about the, the verse I read, that we should love one another from the heart. And he says, I am the Lord. He is the very source of our ability to love one another. And unless I am walking in that and a part of that, there is no way, there is no way that I can love. I would say this yet, and he mentions it in, in verse 8. He says, The darkness is passing because the true light is already shining. So the light of Jesus, and I would, take, I would say the light that best reflects the love of Jesus and how we are to love one another is at the foot of the cross. And that light is going to shine no matter what for all times. It said it's already shining, and the, the, the verbiage that's used there is means it was shining, it is shining, and it's going to continue to shine for all of eternity. But we're broken and fallen people. And as God reveals the hatred, I put hatred in quotations because it's a word that we, we were just naturally kind of brush off. But if hatred is simply the lack, darkness is the lack, the absence of light, then hatred is the lack of the absence of love. Maybe. Maybe I don't. Maybe I do have hatred in my heart. But as the light of Jesus shines and penetrates our hearts and we bring it to the cross and we walk in the light of the cross, the darkness has to leave. When, when the light begins to shine, darkness is gone. It's just, it's gone. When the love flows through us, the hatred cannot exist. But it's only as we walk in the light, as we abide in the light, as we bring our lives into subjection, into obedience to the cross of Jesus Christ, and we revel in the, the love of Jesus and that whole idea of that God delights in you. That's how much He loves you. He delights in you. 
as I focus there on the vertical in my own personal life, if we all do that, do you know what happens to the horizontal? The love begins to flow because the light is coming in and the love flows out on the horizontal and there is absolutely no more room for hate. So the key, I think, to love as Jesus loved is not to try to get rid of hatred. The key to love as Jesus loved is to walk and abide in Jesus and in his love. And that's going to be the natural outcome in our lives. So this week, as you run into the difficult people in your life, and maybe you're the difficult one, I don't know. I mean, you will be, let's just be honest. I'm going to be the difficult one at times. Allow God's, His love to penetrate. Allow His light to shine in you and walk in that, stay in that, and the darkness is gone. I invite you to stand. Tim, you want to come on up, close the service with a song? Let's pray. <coughs> God, this morning, we simply say thank you for how much you loved us. And you command us, you tell us, that we are to love one another in the same way that you loved us. And that's not something that we can accomplish on our own. We cannot do it on our own strength. We're completely dependent on you, God. Thank you that you loved us so much. Thank you for the way that you loved us. And I pray, God, as we rub shoulders with each other here in church, with our families and other people in our lives, God, that Oh, God, that just your love would be so evident and flowing through us. And it should be something that's magnetic, that draws people not to us, but to Jesus. That's our heart's desire here today. In Jesus' name, amen.